Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Damien Clarkson from The Growing Box, a creative agency in London, UK, providing content creation solutions for ethical brands. A long-time and passionate storyteller, Damien has written for The Huffington Post and The Guardian on vegan and environmental issues. He recently co-created the short film Swine in partnership with renowned UK animal charity Viva and launched a new vegan education festival, Vivolution. Damien and his team have worked on some of the UK's biggest commercial and social good campaigns, and he has a strong background in marketing. He describes himself as a multi-potentialite with a diverse range of interests and a desire to helping both non-profits and vegan business owners to tell the world about the ideas and products that matter. In this interview, Damien talks about the importance of storytelling for vegan brands, how service providers can manage the feast or famine aspect of client work, the one thing your content needs to have above all else, the power of video marketing, the benefits of working with small boutique agencies over big name ones, and much more. Here's the interview with Damien Clarkson from The Growing Box. Hello, Damien. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. It's great to uh, be on the show with you. So the very first question I, I ask people, Damien, because you run an ethical, creative um, agency with a focus on content marketing. Tell us about the why. What's the driving force behind why you run your business? Well, I think for me personally, I've always just been super passionate about storytelling. You know, when I was a kid, I was the, the kid in the classroom who couldn't be quiet. I was one of the teachers who were always asking to uh, <laughs> um, stop stop interrupting and stop um, talking to the other children. So I think <laughs> I've just always enjoyed, you know, telling stories in whatever format that I felt comfortable in. So, you know, whether that's music, whether that's spoken word, whether that's through my writing, um, it's something I've always been super passionate about. So I think the reason I run this creative agency and sort of with a focus on working with ethical organisations is that I'm someone who has been drawn to social justice issues throughout my life, you know, and I think the first one I really got very deeply involved in was the environmental movement and tackling climate change. And, you know, as I sort of grew with that, I became more aware of the suffering of animals and the impact of animal agriculture on climate change. And so I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to run a business where I'm able to sort of take my passion for storytelling and um, help and talk about the issues that I care about and sort of, you know, make sure that people find out about the really great campaigns and products that are out there in the world. Fantastic. I love that you've been able to take your passions both for writing and store, or for storytelling, as you said, and for social justice and turn that into a business. I think that's really inspiring for particularly for activists, you know, people who are, are looking to do that kind of thing and wondering, you know, is it possible? And I think you're obviously a really great e example of that. So tell us a little bit because every business has its challenges, particularly when when it's starting out. So tell us about what were some of your key challenges when first starting up The Growing Box? Yeah, well, the growing box is the evolution of the agency that I had before people like you. And so that was, I sort of set that up four years ago with a friend. And, you know, my friend emigrated to Australia, actually, he stole her over. Oh. <laughs> um, and so I went from starting a business with two people and her husband got this great job and they went over to Melbourne and to be in a business with one, one person. And we were really successful and we launched, had lots of clients and we were really busy. And I, I found the biggest challenge definitely for the first couple of years of the business has been business development because when we're doing work for clients, they, they really like it. It's really great. And, you know, we're really busy with that. And like the natural cycle, especially with campaigning, is that there's a campaign that might be launched. It runs for a while. It has its successes. And then the campaign comes to an end. The organization looks at what it's doing. Then it launches another campaign in six months. And so those kind of periods where we're really busy with work. The business development side has always struggled. So, you know, it's, it's that typical thing. I think a lot of marketing agencies kind of 
encounter that they're so busy telling other people's story that they sometimes neglect telling their own story. So ah, that's, that's a good of, point. <laughs> I think a lot, a lot of people I speak to who work in this kind of industry um, have the same time because they're so focused on their clients and, you know, helping them, you know, create great content that when it comes to thinking about their own kind of like business pipeline and what they're doing, there's just not a lot of time left for it. And I think any small business kind of encounters those, those problems. There's only so many hours in a day. And if it comes down to the, um, the hours you have and you know the client work you've got to do to pay the bills and then kind of the work you'd like to do to attract more clients it's always the work you have to do to pay the bills that comes first and that's you know, right it's, yeah it's a bit of um a dichotomy because you know actually if you don't do that business development work you can end up with periods where there's not so much work coming in so you've that's right yeah find that balance you know and I think that's why it's important you know some small businesses are outsourcing business development to people and I think that's an area that many small businesses um, could focus more on. That's good. It's a really good point. I think that's particularly relevant for service providers and freelancers. It's that kind of feast or famine um, thing. Like you say, you get so focused when the job comes in and you throw yourself into that. And then when that's finished, because you yeah, you say you haven't done that, you know, kind of yeah, putting yourself out there to attract other work. It's that, okay, now it's kind of quiet sort of thing. So how have you, um, how have you overcome that? I think now we're trying to, to think about keeping clients on a retainer and building more of a long-term relationship and also planning you know and sort of getting more of a clear idea than just be like oh it's great at the moment but being realistic that okay in three months this organization may finish this campaign and we might have to fill that gap so you know we start thinking okay we're going to have a a bit of free time a month or two in advance at this period and we start working to build those new client leads so I think it's um, about planning it's about sort of um, taking a step back and being mindful of your your work situation so you know at the moment I'm pretty busy I'm quite busy but I know in a week a week or two's time a bit of work's finishing so I'm putting I'm working on lots of projects to try and get some new clients in so I'm sort of been thinking ahead and you know working to make sure when that gap comes that I'm ready with a new client to kind of slot it in so I stay fully fully busy with um with client work because you do quite a lot of stuff like in terms of content as you say you do all forms of storytelling from writing to video um so is it just you Damien or do you have a a team of some kind or staff or anything so pretty much throughout the history of this business that I've been doing it's been myself but I sort of made had a realization about a year ago that I love I'm a natural collaborator I love working with people and you know I didn't get into this to work on my own I always wanted to be freelance and build a team of like-minded people to kind of work with me and so I'm now working with my partner Judy who I also produce Feevolution with so she she's an events producer and great at social media and just really creative so she she helps produce the Feevolution festival that we also run and also she helps me with client work on the growing box and then I'm also working with my friend Robbie Lockie who's a environmental um, environmental and animal rights campaigner and he's um, a filmmaker and he and I made the film Swine together recently for our um, client Fever and oh uh, yes and I'm also working with another friend called Sham and we're making some really interesting videos about climate change at the moment so it's kind of that associate model that I think a lot of service businesses have you know me and me and Judy are the core team and then we work with other people who kind of um fit well with us you know and um that we have good relations with and so fantastic you know, yeah that makes good sense we kind yeah. of work you know and then bring people in who are doing their own thing as well but they also need to pay the bills and that we can just collaborate and work together with you. fantastic and am i right in thinking that robbie didn't he have some connection with jamie oliver he used to work for jamie oliver yeah ah, so i thought so he used to work for jamie oliver and he comes from an advertising background and so robbie's great great person to work with you know we met about a year ago and we just instantly had very similar passions and you know when an opportunity came up to essentially work with people on their face-off campaign he was someone I naturally want to collaborate with because you know he's got some skills that I don't have and I've got some skills that he doesn't have and together we were able to sort of merge those together to create what became Swine this short documentary that we just released. 
Fantastic, fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about marketing because you've got a, a strong background in marketing, mm. including content marketing, social media, film. So what are some of the key marketing challenges facing vegan business owners and entrepreneurs at the moment? Well, so you want to do everything, don't you? I think that's the the biggest challenge for small businesses, um, especially vegan businesses, because we're so passionate about what we do. You know, we want to be everywhere. We want to reach everyone. We want to sort of promote our products or services, and we want to spread the vegan message at the same time as doing that. But the reality is that um, the media platform is becoming more and more competitive. Really, if you're not creating great content, it's very hard to get seen. Like Facebook has completely changed their algorithms and the way they work. You know, I think it could be one of the greatest marketing deceits of all time. Facebook promoted <laughs> Facebook pages as a free way to reach your audience and build these fans who are going to you're going to be able to speak to all the time. And then you know, for years or whatever it was, now they switched up the algorithm and you know said, oh, actually, you're only going to meet reach seven percent of the people you you've got on your page, and then you're going to have to pay or hope, yeah, or hope, or hope that the post is popular enough for those few people who see it that it starts to then be offered out further and I think um I suppose it's a, a lot of businesses especially um well pretty much all businesses and media channels now are very heavily reliant on Facebook and Facebook has particularly has become very much a pay-to-play platform unless you create something that's really like captures the cultural zeitgeist and is very relevant at that time and I think uh, that's that's a problem that a lot of businesses overcoming a reliance on Facebook and Mm, that's a good point thank you for raising that yeah finding a time as well to kind of make that content that is really truly outstanding because you've got two options you either pay with average content and you reach people or you create invest in creating something really outstanding and very um culturally on point and that takes a lot of time and a lot of creative thinking and a lot of budget in some sense a lot of cases you know if, if you're lucky enough to have great camera great actors great studio you can do that stuff but it's time and it's investment and it's um it's it takes a lot of um creativity and space to come up with those ideas that are going to truly stand out that's right. And I think that's particularly the case for, for small business owners who are kind of so busy, kind of, or, you know, particularly the ones that are bootstrapping and trying to do absolutely everything, like running the business, kind of working in the business. And then on top of that, having to, you know, like you say, be everywhere. Like I know I got an email recently about how Snapchat is the latest thing for business and you've got to get in. I'm like, oh, God. Well, so, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a prime example, though. So Snapchat. Yeah. Snapchat is great. Even though they made it so that old people can't use it. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm struggling with it. They've made it deliberately confusing. There's so many people who are my age, I'm in my 30s, and they're like, oh, I just I can't use it. It's so confusing. But I'm like, they made it so us old people can't use it. It's for kids. They don't want us on there. But, um, and, they've, yeah, and they've made it deliberately quite originally. They made it really hard for brands to promote themselves, you know, because you have to manually add in the name of the people you want to follow until they did their media partner thing with like all the big media brands if you go on it now I'm, on, I'm looking at it now you know you've got Fice, you've got Mashable you've got MTV these brands are paying hundreds of thousands to you know be on there and have that like direct reach with people but Snapchat came so you got that email saying you've got businesses got to get on Snapchat but then Instagram launched their Instagram stories yes so many of the influencers <laughs> I know now are like well I'm just using Instagram stories because a I've got a platform already because I've got you know 10,000 followers on my Instagram account and it's just it's I'm on that platform already doing stuff so it's just easier for me to capture it and it's easier to use because they've made it for everyone not just for teenagers yes (laughs) yeah um, that's that's a a sort of example where you get drawn in think okay I need to be on Snapchat and then actually something that's probably better suited to your business comes along and you've maybe invested a lot of time in, in building a whole new platform with Snapchat. So you may be better off sometimes focusing on those platforms where you've already got a good reach and a good um, a good following, you know. That's a really good advice, yeah, because sometimes it can be tempting to kind of go, oh, new shiny object, let's go on that. Whereas you say, I like the fact that you say that, well, actually, you know, you might be better just sticking with the platforms where you've already built that audience. And like you say, come up with more creative and interesting content. So on that, um, obviously, one of the challenges that you've touched on is to be able to stand out above the noise, because now, you know, everybody's a publisher Um, to get your, your message heard. Now, obviously, and we'll talk about this shortly about how people can obviously hire an agency like yourself. What about for people who perhaps 
perhaps aren't at that stage yet. What are some of the things that vegan business owners and entrepreneurs can do to kind of to stand out um, and get their brand recognized more? I think it really comes down to being being unique. You know, when Juliet from Fever came, approached us and said, oh, we, we've got this campaign called Face Off and we, we, wanted, we want people to know about it. We, her brief was, we want to do something different. And she really trusted our judgment, trusted me and trusted Robbie to kind of come back with ideas that fitted with the organization, being vegans and being activists. We were, you know, on, on point really with the ideas we came back because we understood the business. And, you know, it, it was a case of, you know, being creative and saying that we're just not going to do something that's been done before. And I think that can be, that lesson can be applied to any vegan business, no matter the size or the budget. It's a case of, okay, how can I do something that either is to- is unique and different, hasn't been done before, and it kind of connects to what people um, see, are interested, would be interested in, in your brand. The other way you can also sort of stand up for noise is be of service, be of great service to people. If you're, say, um, a business that is in sort of health and fitness, your vegan business might be a vegan personal trainer, for example, be of service to people. Don't always be thinking about that end sale. Be thinking about, okay, I've got an expertise in you know, fitness and weight training and running. Let's be of great service to people and offer my services for free where I can. Obviously, there comes a point where you need to turn, convert that into a sale. But you know, be seen as someone in the community who is a sort of a help, helpful person, someone who will share their knowledge and sort of um, be generous with your time. And I think that's that's a way, especially for service-based businesses, you can build clients through being seen as someone who will do something to help others, you know, and not always thinking about, okay, where's, where's my next sale coming from? So yeah, I think, um, I think it's obviously you need to make sure you're not doing all your work for free, but I think being of service, just having that in the mind set, being generous with your time where you can. And I definitely try to do that. And, you know, like today, um, I've got at least two emails to write for people who, in the past have been of service to me and been very kind to me and now they need me to help them you know and it's I've got a massive list of things to do but I will do that because you know it's the way the world works you know you've got to like collaborate and help and kind of we're all vegan businesses we're all got the same goal you know animal liberation you know creating a world where people eat less meat you know we want we want to shift the world towards veganism and save the lives of animals and tackle climate change and stop the obesity crisis all those things are things we're doing. We all share the same aim, aim as vegan businesses. So, you know, we may be having different routes to how we're doing that, offering different services, different products, but, you know, we've all got to, like, help each other because we've all ultimately care about the same the same cause. For sure. And also, I might point out, you're also doing this interview, which, you know, is a, a well, form of service and share, generously sharing your, your expertise and insights. service so. to each other. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) So, Damien, so you've branched out as well into to making films and and videos. So let's talk a little bit about video marketing. Why why have you chosen to do that? And what advantages does video marketing offer vegan business owners? I think for me personally, um, I've spent a lot of time writing blogs and articles for Guardian, Huffington Post or wherever I can publish my work. And I've just felt more and more drawn towards film as a a platform. content form that I want to explore and also from a professional standpoint I really look at people like Feist and what they've been doing you know and they've they've kind of taken the serious issues that young people was once told they don't care about by the media you know the whole millennial generation you know Facebook generation they've been told the media portrayed them as a generation that doesn't care about stuff they care about themselves but that's not actually true. Young people are completely written off by the media. And actually, Vice have been the brand that have said, OK, we're going to stop just talking about fashion. We're going to now talk about climate change. We're going to talk about women's rights. We're going to talk about animal rights. And that's why they've become the number one kind of long-form content producer on the social web. You know, Their documentaries are just miles above anything that you know, the BBC, do, BBC are doing or Guardian are doing. Actually, when I worked at The Guardian... It's very, there's very much a clear thing that came up a lot of times. Oh, we need to be like Vice. We need to do something like Vice. But because Vice basically, you know, gave young people credit and took the lead, they've now kind of like come the platform for sort of longer form um, video content. So 
I suppose I, I, I developed a, sorry, going on, developed an interest in, in film as something that I wanted to pursue. And I think from a service offering perspective, I feel like that's where um, the most impact can be had now in terms of the web. I feel like there's so much content out there and articles kind of sometimes just last last a day. Kind of, we're still thinking that news cycle. So, you know, I've written some articles that have done really well, like when they've come out on Huffington Post and had thousands and thousands of shares. But no one, you know, remembers them two, two weeks on, but they remember a video they've seen. You know, they remember seeing Swine or they remember seeing Cowspiracy. They remember seeing video content about the same topics. Because I feel like maybe we're bombarded with so much information that long articles are kind of losing losing their value in a sense. So I feel like that's where I feel like a lot of impact can be had through video. And it's just the way we consume media now. We consume so much of our media on the phones and actually video works really great on phones. So I feel like it's where vegan businesses can have the most impact. And I feel like for me personally, it was just, you know, I was pulled to that and I'm one for trusting my gut instinct sometimes. And yeah, it just made sense for me to start exploring that. Yeah. Is it still okay for people to, as I say, if they can't yet afford an agency, you know, to do like a professional shoot, is it still okay for vegan business owners to use their iPhones and do, you know, some shoots with that? 100%. You know, it's all about being real and being authentic. What young people especially are good at, they're good at sniffing out when people are bullshitting, for use of a better word, you know. They're, they're great at knowing when things aren't true. And that's what's most important is that you've got a, a message that resonates and a message that's true. And, you know, you're actually being of service to them with your product or your service that you're offering. And you're offering something genuine and something that, you know, is going to benefit them. So I think definitely do that. And there's lots of really cool tools you can use. Like one that came out recently is called Quick. And it's made by GoPro. And it's super simple to use. And you can just slot in photos. And the app basically adds lovely music. It adds really nice fades. And you can do all that kind of stuff. You know, we can oh. For Feevolution, we've been making GIFs, GIF videos. They're really simple. You just have still images and you, you pop them into these apps. You add a bit of music, you, you know, and you've got, you've got a little video and it's so easy to do. It's just, and that's all on your phone? You do all that on your phone? Do it on your phone. You can do it oh, all of it on I'm your gonna phone. I'm going to have to check that out myself, actually. I can, I can send you some good. stuff. Like, <laughs> it, but these are little quick wins, you know, and I think that's the beauty of social now is that there is a lot of, to- a lot of tools that have been created to help people who maybe don't have great design skills or you know brilliant video editing skills but the stuff is out there to use the tools being made to make it so simple for you um another one we use is judy uses more it's called canva oh yes i love canva yeah stuff on canva it's lovely you know great images the colors are really young and vibrant and it's a free tool it's there it's there to use so that there are these things out there and i think it's about as a small business if you can't go down the route of you know, working with an agency like ourselves or anyone else, you you need to carve out that bit of time in the week, you know, and some, quite often it might even be Sundays, you know, where it's kind of brand time and you think about your personal brand or, you know, your business brands and you, you play around with these tools until you find things that work for you. And um, I, defi- I definitely would recommend that small businesses do that and kind of explore what's out there. You don't need to be an expert, you just need to be authentic, really. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So in terms of the word vegan um, in a company's marketing marketing materials, you know, on the the one hand, Mm. people think, oh, no, we should shy away from it. It's a bit limiting, it can be a bit scary. Or, you know, it's clever niche marketing and we should embrace it. What are your thoughts on this, both for your own business and also what advice do you give your vegan clients, particularly your vegan business clients on this about how much to use the word vegan, the prominence of it, etc.? kind of a tricky one isn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I suppose with the two separate brands that I have so I have the growing box it's my creative agency and then we have Feevolution which is essentially a brand of the growing box it's a product of the growing box and it's the which is an event that you're running it's the yeah. vegan festival it's um it's like TED talks but given by vegans that's the easiest way to describe it so oh that's very good yeah, yeah it's 15 20 minute inspiring talks and it's focused on education rather than kind of consumption it's an education-based festival i think with evolution we're very much the festival saying it's a vegan festival because you know last year vegan futures we did call that plant-based 
but I felt very like thinking about how I wanted to take the new festival that I've created Devolution forward. I felt that I really much want to own the word vegan as I'm very proud to be vegan. And I think veganism, you know, is the ethics, not just that we food that doesn't come from animals. It's, it's the ethics. And I feel very proud of that. And, very, and I want to make sure that going forward as the media writes more about veganism, that it isn't just seen as a foodie thing, it's seen as the ethical thing. And I'm an ethical vegan and I want to be proud about that and promote that as someone who's part of this ethical vegan movement. And so Vevolution, we do brand as vegan and it's, we're very proud of that. With Growing Box, we're also very proud of being vegan, but a lot of our clients aren't vegan. You know, a lot of our clients are charities. And, you know, we definitely want to work with more vegan organizations than we do with work with some at the moment. But it's a case of trying to find that balance. You can find it on our website. We say that we are vegan, we run our vegan festival. But it's not something we're overtly um, at the forefront of our branding at the moment. Because I feel yeah. like in time, maybe that will happen. I feel like at the moment, it's kind of when we talk to people, of course, they, they, they look into us, they look into who we are and what we're about. They can see that we're vegans, but we want to make people feel comfortable with who we are when they come to the site first and then kind of tell them the story about why we're vegan and why we believe in that. And, you know, it's kind of coming. I saw Melanie Joy speak recently and I had the pleasure of interviewing her in Germany, Dr. Melanie Joy, who's written. Yeah, I know Melanie. I interviewed her and read an article about her for mainstream media here a few years ago. Yeah. Right. So she's, she's brilliant. She's a really um, inspiring speaker and sort of a really good advocate for veganism, I think. And sort of hearing her speak and talking to her afterwards, she, we were talking about how we can be the best advocates, you know, how can we promote veganism in the best way? And I think something she said that resonated very much for me was that veganism, we, all of us weren't, most of us weren't vegan at some point in our life. And actually for a majority of our lives, many of us weren't vegan. And we, some, we sometimes find it very hard to understand those people who haven't decided to make the vegan choice. But, you know, they just made different choices to us, these people. But at one point, we were exactly the same. And only from a place of understanding can we then communicate effectively about veganism. So that's kind of how I like to think about it is, you know, understand that everyone who comes to my business isn't vegan, but also in my head know that they probably in their heart are interested in veganism. I just need to wait for the right opportunity and the right time to kind of talk to them about it. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great answer. I ask everyone that and it's, it's, it's really good to get all the different opinions and it often depends on the type of the business and who you're trying to attract and, and what have you. So that's great. Now, we talked earlier about how many business owners in the beginning, particularly they're bootstrapping, they're trying to do everything and you, you very generously gave some tips and some tools for them yeah. to use. But what about when they can, when they are ready to take the next step? So what are some of the benefits of working with a creative agency such of your, as yours? Well, I think... As a business owner, you become so close to your product, so close to what you're offering, that sometimes it's hard to see see it how other people see the business and see what you're producing. And so actually having someone like us who can come in and sort of look at it objectively and say, okay, this is great, but you need to be doing more of this. You know, we, we can have that kind of fresh perspective on things. And we've got the experience, you know, of working with some of the UK's biggest charities and media companies to kind of bring that professional content creation standards you would find in these organizations to small startups so that is definitely like one of the benefits of working with us we can bring those kind of like professional big experience and kind of that objective um viewpoint and kind of being fresh pair of eyes to it and you know it, it means that you can focus on doing what you do well which is create great products and services and we can focus on doing what we do well which is telling great stories so I think it's it means that you can be better at your service and we can tell your story for you. And I think it's if you're going to afford to do that, it's definitely something I recommend people look into because it enables you to make your product better. It enables us to kind of bring to you the professional um, media skills that we have that can help you attract new clients. Brilliant. So when people are looking for an agency, what should they look for when choosing an agency? I think it's just really important to find people that you connect with. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen it a lot where 
organizations, especially when I used to work in-house, have gone for big advertising agencies or big marketing agencies based on the name. And then they've ended up with really bad products. You know, they might have gone, oh, we're going to work Saatchi and Saatchi because they're doing a really great discount for us. But Saatchi and Saatchi are getting their most junior members of staff to work on the project. (laughs) Saatchi and Saatchi are dedicating half a day a month to it or something. And they end up with this kind of really hollow campaign. When actually they could have taken that money and hired a smaller agency for three months, you know, to work pretty much full time on a campaign. They'd have ended up with something amazing. And I can see why that happens in big organizations, especially because there's so much pressure to deliver. And if you don't, your campaign doesn't deliver and you went with the young agency, the kind of smaller agency, you and some, someone's like, well, we had Saatchi and Saatchi offering to do it. And there's always that person. Um, you're going to be kind of under scrutiny and under attack for it. And I've seen it happen time and time again, actually. So I think don't be kind of um, attracted by the, the stardust of the name or of the agency and maybe who they worked with in the past. Think about what they're saying to you today and the person who's sitting in front of you and whether they're someone you can do business with. Yeah, and whether they share your values as well, values, I guess. Exactly. You know, And yeah. that's, that's the thing I think where, where a lot of vegan businesses kind of go wrong they go and work with these agencies that have no understanding of veganism and then they're they're like oh disappointed that they don't get the right results but I, I get why they do that because I think okay we need to break out beyond just the vegan market and that by working with an agency who aren't vegan they help us do that but being vegan for me is just part of who I am it's part of me it's not me it's not just me I'm not just a vegan I'm Damien I'm a guy who's into running and I'm into music I'm into art I'm into you know storytelling I'm into film I'm a whole human being and veganism is just part of me I think sometimes that businesses think that by working with vegan business they're only going to be focused on veganism but actually like me and Judy and the people I work with we've had life and experience outside of the vegan community as well and that's yeah and we're able to operate in those worlds and communicate in those worlds effectively yeah, and I think you're right as well, because when I, I did an interview with Karen Ridges, lovely vegan publicist, and she said exactly the same thing. Yeah, you know, come you know, Karen. She said exactly the same thing with PR agencies, you know, the bigger ones. They'll wine you and dine you with, this, you know, the champagne and what have you, and then give it to the most junior member of staff. And she's even had, like, you know, interns or in, ringing her up and going, help, what do I do, kind of thing. So it's interesting that that's obviously happening uh, across the board. Oh, that's that's so, been happening for years. That's, yeah. That, and, you know, <laughs> I've, I've just seen it time and time again, and it's it's a... Uh, it's sad you're better off, you know, going with a small agency like who believe in you and you believe in them and, you know, create something good together. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the reverse side, then, what do you look for in a client when deciding whether to take them on? Well, it's, it's kind of the same thing, really. You know, <laughs> I, I, I made a decision long ago to work with people that I felt were doing good in the world. And that means that sometimes we don't take on clients. That means sometimes that we um you know, we could have work and we have less work because we decide that we only want to work with people who are really matching with our values. So I think that's, it's the same thing, you know, it's a, it's a partnership, isn't it, whenever you work with anyone and you need to believe in them as much as they believe in you. And so I think for sure. we look for people who, who want to be different and who know why they are doing what they're doing. And if And someone who can really clearly say to us why they're unique and why they're going to stand up in the crowd and someone who wants to show a commitment to achieving the goal you know and it's it's difficult because you want to um help people as much as you can but it's almost like a you both got to be committed to the same aim and we look for clients who are committed to really truly transforming their businesses and becoming really great communicators and if they're up for doing that we're up for working with them you know as long as our our values sort of match together so Perfect, perfect. So a lot of the stuff you do is content marketing Mm. and you're a creative agency. What's the difference, if there is one, between a marketing agency and a creative agency? Yeah, I I suppose I think the difference is that marketing is about taking something that exists already and pushing that out into the world. So, you know, you might come to me and say, hey, um, I've got this campaign and I've got this campaign video. Can you recruit people to talk about it or can you get you know, what Karen might do in OPR and get us in the media. So market that product out to what exists. And also other things like 
pay-per-click marketing and you know Facebook advertising, taking something like this and targeting people with that. What we do, and we do the marketing as well, but we do content creation. So you're coming to me and say, I, I've got a campaign about pigs, welfare pigs. What can we tell the, tell the world about it, you know, and what can we create? And that's kind of what we did with Swine. You know, we, we took a campaign that existed and we created a whole new strand to it about antibiotic resistance with Swine. And we, you know, we, we made something that didn't exist before. And then we took it to market. So we did the at the end, but we developed it. From, it's something that didn't exist before. It was, uh, can you help us create it? And then through our creativity and our writing and our discussions, we came up with an idea. Then we went and filmed that content and, you know, edited that content and shot everything and created all the photo- photographs and the artwork and the whole product and created a whole new piece of content that will live on the web for forever. <laughs> you know, <Cool>. so, um, <laughs> so it's, it's actually about creating something and working in partnership to sort of develop um, digital products for people. Got it. So you do the content creation and you do the marketing as well if people want it. All services agency. But I think you are. We, okay. we definitely we definitely wants to we do more of the content creation now and less of the marketing. Maybe whereas when I started out four years ago we did more of the marketing less of the content creation but I think that's just a natural evolution as me as a as a content creator and just experience as well just more experience and I guess that's when the collaboration comes in so if you created the fantastic piece of content and then you collaborate with an ethical marketing agency to then market it yeah that's that's definitely what what people should be looking to do and we we're lucky that we've got the experience of content creation and of content marketing and so we're able to do the the social, the, the images, you know, the videos to push something out. We know how to create campaigns from scratch or products, videos from scratch. So it's just, I'll tell you how it, it's people who have done lots of different things. They're the people I'm attracted to, the people who don't put themselves in one box and say, oh, I'm just a, a, a film producer, you know, or I'm just a writer. It's the people who have loads of different interests, uh, very much, um, what would have been called a renaissance man or uh, more modern term I like is multi-potentialite. People who... Yes, I uh, saw that in your bio. What was it? Multi-potentialite, is that yeah. how we say? So yeah, that, that's quite cool, actually. I like that. <laughs> the world tells us, you know, society tells us that you must pick one thing. That must be your your destiny, you know. But actually, I believe we all have lots of different talents and destinies and different things that we can excel at. And... That's kind of what we do. We have lots of multiple potentials as a business and we want to work with businesses who, you know, are up for embracing creativity and the associates that I work with, like um, Robbie, other people with lots of different interests as well who um, can create all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, we're, yeah. we're very much... Um, yeah, lucky that we have lots of different skills. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that because I'm someone who's a content creator myself and just like branch because I've been a print and online journalist for many years. So it's quite You're... interesting like getting out of the comfort zone into doing podcasting and I'm really loving it. And so I was, it's, uh... I was thinking you're definitely a multi-potentialite actually. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's funny that it's actually a really good talk and I'll say this because I think people listening would be interesting. I saw a really good talk by Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote the Eat, Eat Pray, Love um, book and she did a, a talk um, for Oprah. I think it was for her super soul Sunday thing and she said that you know when she knew that from a child she wanted to be a writer and that was it and she was so so focused and you know that was kind of it and so she would preach to everyone this is what you have to do so whenever someone would say I don't know what my purpose is I'm interested in this I'm interested in that and she'd say you must find this one thing that you're good at and that's the only way to succeed and her whole talk was apologizing about that and saying that's the jackhammer approach but there's also what she calls a hummingbird approach where you've got people, you know, dabbling here and having a bit of experience here and there. And that's their gift to the world. And she did this big apology and said, you know, don't let yourself um, be bullied by passion bullies like me. So it's really interesting. I like that you say that because I think, yeah, I'm definitely a hummingbird as well. And I think you are, too, which is that. awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. great, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a, a video for one of our clients at the moment and um, I'm doing it with my friend Nick. And he's great. He's he's brilliant. He's an award-winning um, documentary film producer, and he's he's really super talented. And um, we're talking about his film. He's got a little film that he made, um, and he's saying online it's had less than two thousand 
views. And I was talking about Swiney, you know, how we've had over 50,000 in a month and we've won no awards, you know. We, we haven't um, been nominated for the American Documentary Film Festival or Canadian Documentary Film Festival. But we, we know how to market things online. And actually, we were talking about impact producing and how a lot of filmmakers are now learning how to be impact producers, which is essentially how to take your film to market and how to make sure your film, whatever format you release it in, has the most impact. And um, that is just something that, that originally that people wouldn't have, um, wouldn't have done because they would have been, I make the films. You know, but yes. now, you know, we live in a world where if you're a filmmaker and you want to make a documentary film, you are doing the fundraising, you're doing the script writing, you're doing the pitching, you're trying to get a, produ a production company on board. You might even be doing some of the filming, you know, depending on how your role within it, whether you're behind the camera or you're in front of the camera, you know, and then you're doing, you've got to do the marketing as well. It's, it's the same with, you know, writing books as well now, the, the authors are expected to do everything from oh yeah all that you know you know you've done it yourself. absolutely yes. yeah <laughs> no, I just, and even when I was published by mainstream publishers it was like yeah okay they take care of all that you know kind of production side of it but yeah at the end of the day their marketing was non-existent it was like yeah you go and do it we're like oh okay like, um, but um, I think that's really good advice for for creatives that you've shared I just literally got off a call actually with someone who came to you signed they read your book and they um so I was like oh, I'm on the Katrina's podcast and it's like, oh, I met her at Edgefest in London and she signed my book. She seemed really nice and she's great. And I really <laughs> liked her book. And I was like, I haven't actually read your book, so I need to read it. So <laughs> next time I come on the podcast, I promise I would have read the book. Oh, that's nice. Right? Thank you. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit about um, events because yeah, we mentioned, we've touched on this a little bit earlier. You, so you did a festival last year called Vegan Futures. Yeah. Um, and this year you're running um, something called Vevolution. Yeah. Um, so first of all, tell me, well, why, what, what are, how are they different to other veg fests? I think you've maybe touched on it a little bit where you've mentioned the TED style talks because there's a lot of vegan festivals happening now, particularly in the UK. Um, so how's it different, first of all, from other veg fest types? events yeah i i see us as being like completely different from those kind of events so our pure focus is education education is number one for us as a festival we're all about connecting people with like inspirational inspirational ideas and inspirational speakers and also bringing people together on more kind of i suppose a niche scale you know Evolution will have maybe 500 people at it, including speakers and you know sponsors but actually, you know, you go to FedgeFest in London, you know, there could be 10, 20,000 people coming through the door over the weekends. And this really isn't, isn't about the mass scale. It's about the people who want to be at the forefront of leading veganism forward as a, a, a way to live your life. So the people who come to our um, festival, I think someone said to me last year, it's, it's almost like making more advocates, making more activists who are super passionate about veganism. So that's how we see it, almost like... Um, vegan advocacy training <laughs> so excellent you know, oh, that's at, great at the festival you i think at our festival we're probably going to have maybe four or five stands and that's it no kind of yeah. that's not our focus we we promote some charities that we're passionate about as part of it but our whole thing is you know getting people there to inspire others and so the people we've picked is are really inspiring and we also want to put them on a stage that is kind of we think is kind of fitting for veganism so I, the, the main space is 400 people seated. There's no other space in the UK where you will have a stage like that. You will have the professional filming that we're going to put into it as well. So as I said earlier, TED Talks for Veganism, that's really what we're trying to do, you know. We're going to be making Excellent. all the main talks and the main space available for free online afterwards because, you know, we understand that not everyone can get to London. Not everyone can afford £35 for a ticket. But we want to spread this education. So we're investing that money, you know, into making sure that others can access these talks and they have a life online. And because we're, we're in the marketing game, the content creation game, as the growing box, we understand the quality of doing things well. And, you know, we're investing in professional audio setups, professional visual setups. We're having a stage designed. And it's really, I think I've described it before, as like taking veganism into the spotlight. And... And the other festivals around the UK, that some of these are done, they're brilliant festivals, they're done for, it's amazing what people put on, you know, and they're great speakers, but the people are speaking in small kind of dark rooms, 
And that's not what we're about. We're about showcasing veganism as a way that people can live a better, more happy, healthier, compassionate life. And we feel like we want to give it that beautiful stage so people can do that. And, you know, full of tickets, people get their breakfast, they get a goodie bag. I think last year there was over £15 worth of stuff in that goodie bag. So actually, once you sort of go, I'm getting fed, I'm getting all these great things to take home from us. And then I'm getting a day where I've like get to meet loads of people that I've wanted to meet before that I haven't had the opportunity to make loads of new friends. And I, I think really the way it came about last year is that I knew loads of great people in the vegan community and I felt like they didn't know each other. And I just wanted to bring everyone together and say, okay, get together, all become friends and let's build this community out. And you've seen that in London. There's been an absolutely yeah. massive expansion yeah. and kind of one vegan activist. Like I know, for example, at least several people who came to Vegan Futures last year who are now really prominent vegan advocates online through Come to that Festival and being inspired by what they heard and just getting out there and setting up YouTube channels and starting activism, doing street interviews. And um, I think that's how I see it, really. And I think it's just a totally different Got thing. Got it. Totally different yeah. thing. Cool. And I think, and I, <laughs> let me just say, I think VegFest is great. I think that what they're doing is is fantastic, the amount of people they put all, all through and the amount of people they give access to vegan foods and that kind of thing. But it's just not our game, you know. And it's, it's a different mindset that we're, we're trying to, like, promote. We're trying to promote that you're going to come here, you're going to get some nice stuff to take home with you, you're going to eat some nice vegan food. But really it's about coming together and learning from each other and having the time and the space and the quiet to listen to each other. Excellent. Now, running events can be obviously a great marketing tool for a business or mm. for a brand. So tell us about what are some of the challenges involved in uh, in running events? <laughs> and what tips can you offer to vegan, particularly vegan businesses, vegan brands that are maybe thinking of holding their own kind of events? In London, getting a, a venue that meets your needs for an affordable price is a ch- massive challenge because, you know, we live in one of the most, I live in one of the most expensive cities in in the world and you know to hire a space that fits with our um, requirements for the festival in terms of how many people we want to be there the kind of setting that we want to create um it's really not cheap so that that has definitely been a big challenge for us in terms of um there's so many things you just don't think about you know like health assessments and um, risk assessments how are you going to like sell the tickets you know we're lucky that we have like a pre-existing kind of network you know um within that community to sell tickets i think events are are great but please don't underestimate the amount of work that go into them we we work so late working on feevolution most nights we're kind of up doing feevolution social posts and kind of um sending off emails and it's it's a really it's a really big job to organize a large-scale event but you know i think events are beautiful ways of bringing people together and there are ways of doing them in a less formal setting and I think if you're a small business and you want to kind of like demonstrate your products or get people together, I think just try and do it and try and find somewhere that fits with you, whether that's a cafe or um, a local vegan cafe or I'm sorry, a biz- business that kind of wants to promote what you're doing and partner up with people who maybe have the space if you have a product or you have an idea. And so you can get things for free, you know, like we're doing the um, Bite sized Vegan Talk when she comes to London. Oh yeah, Emily. Yeah, yeah, Emily, and we've we've organised that, and we, you know, Judy worked her ass off, and she must have emailed about two hundred venues to finally get one that we could get for free. And you know that that's a it took a lot of her time to organise that, but if you work hard enough, you can find you can find venues. Just may you might have to be compromised on some on some things. So I think bringing people together is always a good thing. And what you want to do as a brand, you want to build your 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 allies don't you and the people who exactly yeah champions so every business you know like will have its have its champions the evolution has its champions you know and it's about bringing if you can bring those people together to kind of test your products and kind of be part of it and fold them in some way that's really good if you can make them stakeholders in what you're doing and if an offense sometimes a good way to do that so i definitely think i recommend doing them but i recommend thinking carefully about how much time you have dedicated to it. 
Very good point. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. Um, so what's good for those people who are, you know, they're looking to run their own business, ethical based business, and particularly, you know, perhaps creative service providers such as yourself. What, in your opinion, what are the key things they need to take into account before making that jump from employed to self-employed? I think you need to maybe think about how are you going to pay the way whilst you're setting up? Because, you know, I was lucky when I went freelance I had saved a bit of money from my job so I was able to have a bit of time to kind of like live off that whilst I kind of started building up clients and um, I was able to sort of I had I had an idea of who a few of my first clients might be so I'd think maybe start working on your service you know part-time whether it's just doing one one client to start with if you're doing a service-based business or product-based business start selling trying to sell that product before you leave your full-time job but I think doing it is an amazing, amazing choice, you know, for life balance. You know, I spend a lot more time outside than the average person. You know, the other day it was beautiful weather and I went for a bike ride at four o'clock because I was like, well, you know, I've been up since working since eight. It's beautiful outside. I think I'm just going to call it a day there and I might do a bit later on. So you have that flexibility to kind of get out and enjoy your natural surroundings. It's, and it's also about thinking about where where you live you know and what your outgoing is going to be so for me in London outgoings are very high but you know yeah. if you've got a business that doesn't require so much you to be in a certain location you know do you start your business from basing yourself in a place where it's cheaper to live so your outgoings are sort of lower you know as you sort of like build up your business you know there's lots of people going off to Colombia, Costa Rica, Bali, Thailand to set up businesses because actually you can live very cheaply there and if you're doing something remote, you know, it can give you the time you need to kind of establish your business. Yeah. So yeah, for I think, sure. I think you've got, a, and I think the main thing to sort of like say is that it's brilliant, but it's equally challenging and you've got to be prepared to be um, resilient and robust and, you know, come back from sort of setbacks, but also be ready to embrace the good stuff about it, you know. No, that's brilliant. That was one of the questions I was going to ask is about the qualities you need. And, and, and resilience has definitely been the number one quality that many people have said that, that you need. So in terms of maintaining a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner, because like you say, you know, running a business, there can be challenges, you know, stresses and like, you know, the good times and the, the challenging times. Um, are there any specific things that you do to manage that and to, you know, ensure that you have this strong mental and emotional well-being as, a, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, I meditate every day. So I just like to, I think you find a common thread with um, small business owners that a lot of them meditate. Um, so I'm actually I've meditated 53 days in a row now for 20 minutes. Wow! So I'm oh, doing that's that. Very good. My friend Greg Lowe, he's um, a vegan actor, and he uh, he challenged me and Judy to do a 100 day meditation challenge. And I love challenges. So, <laughs> so like, yeah, what is the challenge? Do I get anything at the end of it? Do I get a medal? Or just, <laughs> you don't get a medal. You get well being. I was like, okay. Well. So, uh, <laughs> that'll do <laughs> you know day so day 53 of 100 um days meditation and meditation has been something that definitely in the last few years i've incorporated quite regularly into my life and i'm also running an exercise regular exercise i find for me they're just um activities that enable me to organize my thoughts you know it's quite fun you know someone who has multiple potentials and lots of different projects going on it's the biggest challenge is knowing where to, what to do first and I find, you know, mindfulness and sitting every day helps me have a better intention and know about how to get the most from my day. And, you know, the same with running. It helps me organize my mind and work out exactly where I need to focus my energy. So they're kind of key things that, that I do. And I think you've just got to not be hard on yourself. There's always going to be something you can't, you can't do. I think that's fine as well. That's totally fine. That's the nature of um, running a business is that you're not always going to be able to do everything. And it's about accepting that. Accepting that Excellent. and saying, yeah. yeah, okay, that's next time. Tomorrow, tomorrow's a new day and I'll make it. <laughs> that's a good point. Actually, I know I get caught up in that sometimes. I'm like, I've got to do this now. I've got to get it all done today. And <laughs> it's like, no, actually, you don't. <laughs> the, the, the very good advice. <laughs> exactly. Or hopefully it yeah, will. Yeah, well, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. No, that's great <laughs> advice. Thank you. So, um, final question then, Damien. What's your what's your long term vision? Oh, actually, no, I wanted to wonder what I wanted to ask you because you've come um, 
you've come from the nonprofit sector. Mm. I know you've worked a lot in, in nonprofit on grassroots advocacy campaigns, and now you're running your own business, for-profit business. So I'm just curious, what if any mindset shifts did you need to do in, uh, you know, in order to be able to make that transition? I just um, actually bought a book for Judy. It was her birthday, my partner Judy, who I work with. Um, um, Amanda's Amanda Palmer um, from Dresden Dolls. It's a band about um, the art of asking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. haven't read it yet. I, I may have bought it partly for myself, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, but it's about not being afraid to ask and say, okay, I'm offering a service of value and I need to be paid for that as well. Like I said earlier, do things, be of service to people, help people, you know, do be kind for your time, be generous for your time. But being okay with saying, I'm of value, me, my business is of value, and I need to obviously pay my rent you know eat, you know have a life so accepting that's okay to ask for money and that money is um the thing that makes you no know, is this currency system we have in the world at the moment it's we live in the society where we need it to function and it's about sort of accepting that that's all right and i think for me because most of my clients are from the non-profit worlds um it means i probably don't get paid as high as some of the other um creative agencies that work out there but it also means that I maybe don't feel so bad about you know um asking for money because I know that I'm helping something that is good and that I'm dedicated to it too so I think um maybe because we're kind of mostly like ethical ethical organizations um I'm I'm cool with that because I know I'm not I'm not funding I'm not putting my time into something that is um detrimental to the world Got it. So just final question, then what are your what's your long term vision for the growing box and for yourself? I want the growing box to be kind of the leading choice for vegan businesses who want to tell the world about their products or campaigns. So that's how I see the growing box um, where it's going. And I want to sort of grow that agency and you know recruit more members of staff to work with us and kind of you know become a, a fully a bigger agency you know what means we can do more work and you know i i see us producing more things like swine more kind of mix of short form really engaging social content and the longer form short documentary style content for clients so i was talking to a friend the other day actually and we're saying how people only ever now want videos that are either 40 seconds to a minute or <laughs> or like 10 minutes plus they don't want anything in between you know, oh, that's interesting. I think like getting that shift between like the kind of phone, the phone video, and then kind of the the people getting tired of journalism, tired of these kind of like one one point articles. You know, I think people want something that's a bit deeper. So I hope we we kind of create more films for people and kind of become that agency of choice for vegan businesses, and continue doing work with charities as well and people like Fever and Veganry who we've worked in the, with in the past. So I think that's... Do you work Do you work in, with just British uh, or European clients, Damien, or do you work with international clients potentially? Potentially you could definitely work with international clients. At the moment, most of our, our, well, we've actually been working with Care International, who are an international organisation, and technically being paid by Care Denmark. So um, okay. <laughs> so we do work, I suppose we do work with international clients as well, and we have done in the past. Um Generally, generally mostly UK and European, but that's not to say exclusively. And um, I suppose for me personally, I'm I'm hoping to make a feature length documentary um, as well. So that's kind of my personal um, next big film project. You know, I'm going to be Wonderful. making short films. Hopefully, we'll be making another film with Fever going forward. And um, I'm definitely hoping to work on a, a feature film. And I really hope that you know, in a year's time, I can come on this podcast and talk about the process of how I made, got that to the point where we're making it because I'd be making it in a year's time. <laughs> uh, that sounds wonderful. We'll definitely keep us posted with that. That's been brilliant. You've shared some great insights, um, Damien. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, honestly, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. So that was Damien Clarkson from The Growing Box. You can find out more at growingbox.co. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. 
Vegan makeup brand Velvet 59 has opened a flagship store in Orange County, California, reports OC Weekly. As well as selling its products, which are also gluten and paraben-free, founder Paris Manning will host makeup certification classes with industry professionals coming along as guest teachers. Velvet 59 was launched in 2014 and its products are inspired by Manning's love of vintage Hollywood glamour. I love that. I'm a big fan of vintage Hollywood glamour myself. (laughs) In just two years, the brand has earned praise from elite Hollywood makeup artists, beauty bloggers and Oprah Winfrey. I'm pleased as punched about this marrying of glamour with compassion. It's great to see vegan brands offer fabulous products that are good for people, animals and planet. And let's hope that this becomes the norm. More good news on the beauty front. Marie Claire in the UK ran a feature highlighting vegan beauty products. It's a list type article featuring several brands, including Kat Von D., Pie, Rahua, and the Vegan Kind Beauty Box. I love how the article starts. The writer says, you're going to want to try all these. (laughs) Now, there are some brands included whose entire range isn't vegan, but certain products are. Hopefully, the more these brands see that it's possible to eliminate animal products from everything, the more full vegan companies will see. Meanwhile, Cosmopolitan, also in the UK, ran a piece providing tips for feeding vegetarians and vegans at barbecues. The article is written by longtime vegan Amy Pay, and as she tells readers, it doesn't have to be stuffed mushrooms and salad. <laughs> that made me laugh, and I'm sure some of you listening can relate, as most of us have been served up the traditional stuffed vegetable and accompanying lettuce. <laughs> Along with helpful cooking tips, the piece mentions vegan meat alternative brands, including Heather Mills's V-Bites and Fry's Family Foods. It's great to see mainstream media publishing such positive articles and giving people ideas and inspiration. And of course, it's another reason for you as a vegan brand to stay top of mind with journalists. Camilla Fayed, brother of Dodi Al-Fayed, who died in the car crash with Princess Diana, and daughter of Egyptian-born Mohammed Al-Fayed, the former owner of Harrods, has opened a plant-based restaurant in London's Notting Hill, reports the Daily Mail. The restaurant, called Pharmacy, and that's spelt F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, is not completely vegan because eggs are served, but the rest of the menu is plant-based. Fayed previously headed up fashion label Issa, which designed the Duchess of Cambridge's engagement dress. Now she's turned her back on fashion and moved into food. She's reportedly decided to move into the restaurant business as she felt London was behind New York and LA in providing the kind of health food she and her friends like to eat. So yes, she's coming from a health perspective rather than an ethical one and serves eggs. But I think this story is important and positive because the more wealthier and well-connected people move away from animal products, the better. And you know, she could have opened a paleo or a meat-based restaurant. So I think we need to celebrate steps in the right direction. Grime artists in the UK are embracing vegan food thanks to Cook Daily, an eatery located in a shipping container in Box Park, which is a pop-up mall in Shoreditch in East London, reports the Irish Examiner. Owner and chef King says he gets his inspiration not from chefs anymore, but from musicians, creative designers and tattoo artists. In fact, one of the menu items, high grade, is influenced by marijuana. (laughs) Now, if you're wondering what a grime artist is, you're not alone. When I first saw the headline, meet the man serving up vegan food to the biggest names in grime, I thought it was a typo and was meant to read crime. And I had visions of some kind of vegan mafia hanging out in Shoreditch. (laughs) So I googled it and apparently, apart from its original meaning dirt, grime is a form of dance music. So you learn something every day. And maybe this is your takeaway for today. (laughs) The menu at Cook Daily comprises healthy bowls, including a mix of raw and cooked dishes, many inspired by South Asian culture. 
So it seems that vegans are getting cooler and cooler, which is pretty fantastic as it reaches more diverse ranges of people. Finally, in Australia, the cruelty-free shop continues its expansion with the opening of two new stores, one in Brisbane and another in Canberra. Owner Jessica Bailey first started the vegan store, which offers a diverse range of groceries, food, cosmetics, pet and fashion products as an online business in 2001. She opened the first physical store in Sydney in 2012, then just two years later, one in Melbourne. The Brisbane store is due to open on the 4th of September and the Canberra store later this year. It's so good to see this business grow. Um, I know Jess and I know how hard she's worked to, to build this up. The store offers a unique range of vegan products, both local and from across the globe, that you're unlikely to find in mainstream stores. You'll be able to find out some of Jess's secrets of success as she's booked to be my guest on an upcoming episode of Vegan Business Talk. So keep an eye out for that interview. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 